Hey, this is The Mouth Off, storytelling with Kion Wolf from the Mark Twain House. I'm Kion Wolf. First up, we've got a story from Michael Shelby. Michael is the president and CEO of Shall Be LLC and an addiction counselor at Rushford and the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction. In his spare time, he loves performing improv, traveling, comedy, and reading. Michael's story was from September of 2018, and the theme was It Happens So Fast. After almost two years of planning, which is how long it takes to take a lawyer, a doctor, and a computer hacker to plan an overseas trip. It takes two years. I ended up going for a three-week trek in Nepal last year with a doctor and a lawyer and an ex-head of Watkinson School at Master. So there were four of us and our fierce leader, Sally, Sally was 68 years of age, 98 pounds, soaking wet, came up to my waist, and she outran us all. I was the youngest member of the crew at 52 at that point in time. Nepal is a unique place, and there's a reason why I'm wearing everything that I acquired in Nepal on me today, because my story has a lot less to do with nudity and it has a lot less to do with historical events. Nevertheless, there is an issue because I was told beforehand that this will be not only a physically challenging trip, but it'll be a spiritual experience as well, which it was. This was my first full submersion into Buddhist culture, a culture that doesn't so much teach people how to sit cross-legged and breathe in and out and concentrate on their breathing and think of nothing else except the breath going in, cooler air, breath going out, warmer air, and think of nothing else, and that is considered to be meditation. And Buddhism is something that we hear about, we read about, we actually do have a Buddhist temple next to Elizabeth Park, And even that does not, in any way, shape, or form, communicates properly the reality, the actual reality of living in a society and experiencing day-to-day living Buddhism when people not, they don't practice it, they live it, and that becomes their life. Interestingly enough, everything in Nepal once you land in Lukla and start walking towards Everest, which was our general direction, uh, is measured in days. So how long does it take to walk from here to there? It takes three days. Well, what if I'm in good shape and I walk really fast? How long will it take me? It'll take you three days, but you will arrive. You will arrive for breakfast on day three. What if I'm 78 years old, been smoking cigarettes since the age of nine, have a really poor diet, and have a heart condition? How long will it take me to make it to Namche Bazaar? The answer is three days, but you'll be there for dinner. <laughs> it's all, everything is measured in days. And each one of us was assigned our own, our own Sherpa. Sherpa is a last name 
it is also has become a profession. They are guides. They make sure you don't lost, get lost, and they make sure you don't fall off the cliffs or get eaten by wild animals. That's their job, basically, to make sure that you stay alive through your trek and hopefully come back and tip them again on your next trek. My Sherpa was absolutely amazing. He was 28 years old and uh, he owned exactly two items of clothing from the waist up. He had a t-shirt and a jacket. Whereas the rest of us, we had thermal layers and um, you know, special undergarments and special overgarments and, and, and a rain gear and whatnot. He had a jacket and he had a t-shirt. And uh, he did very well not losing me to either wild animals or falling off the cliff. He did his job perfectly well. We booked uh, 10 to 12 miles a day each day. In a little over two weeks, we walked on foot 121 miles. We actually ended up above 18,000 feet, above the base camp. We sort of kind of avoided the Everest crowd altogether. We took a slightly different route, ended up on different peaks. It was the most amazing experience of my life. On day seven, halfway through our trek, when we came to Namche Bazaar, which is the nexus point halfway between Lukla and Everest, where everybody regroups and regears and whatnot, we've been walking at that point in the rain for two days. It was pouring rain and everything was just wet and cold. And you can imagine after hoofing it uphill with a backpack for 10, 12 miles at above 11,000 feet, you get a little tired, you know, and sort of kind of like we go from tea house to tea house. There is food. There is a very comfortable, it's not a bed, it's a shelf made out of wood with a blanket on it. And you pay money to sleep there, but it beats the hell out of sleeping outside in the tent. So that's really good accommodations. And once we were within earshot, and we could actually see our tea house. Namche Bazaar is built on this very, everything's built on a slope. This is an amazing slope. It's like tier town, little mini town. And the streets are very narrow, and they are, you go walk between houses, and, and, and there are pastures, and, 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 and the walls are made out of this stone. And you go up and up and up, and it's endless up the stairs. When we took the very last curve and we were within probably 12 yards away from the tea house and we went up the last set of stairs, there was this incredible, gigantic, torrential roar right behind us. We turned around and the whole retaining wall of where we just were about four or five seconds ago came down with boulders way over our head and just blocked that passageway completely. The Sherpa that I looked at in disbelief and just with my jaw looking back and forth and back and forth, at 28 years old, he looks at the pile of boulders, looks back at me, and utters exactly three words, and three words only, which were, not our day. <laughs> he turns around and walks the last 12 steps to the tea house and never speaks of it again. 
That's Buddhism. <laughs> That's Buddhism. There is no fear of death. There is karma, reincarnation. It's not our death. It's just not our day. I had nothing to say for the rest of the trip. I just walked. It was the most amazing experience of my life. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael Shelby. This next one is from me. I really love the challenge of coming up with a story for each one of these shows, but I didn't know I would be telling this one until just a couple days before. So this is from the September 2019th installment of The Mouth Off, and the theme was the one time. It's 18 years ago. I'm 20 years old, freshly dropped out of college, selling cell phones in a mall, living in my old bedroom at my parents' house in Farmington, Connecticut. Meanwhile, my three big brothers have all flown to other parts of the world. My oldest brother to Kyoto, Japan. My other brother to Los Angeles, California. My other brother to Madrid, Spain. And I wanted to fly too. So I closed my eyes, put my finger on a map, and it landed on Washington, D.C., which was cool because the cell phone company I worked for had just built a new store on 19th and K, which is a couple blocks away from the White House. I couldn't afford to live in D.C., so I moved to Alexandria, just over the river. I'm finding Washington, D.C. to be cold. This is coming from a New Englander. People aren't making a lot of eye contact. People aren't holding doors. I'm having a hard time making friends. Me, of all people, I'm having a hard time making friends. The only person I date is a woman who I knew from Hartford, who happened to live way up 16th Street in the city. It's a Tuesday morning, I'm getting ready for work, and I'm listening to Howard Stern. He's talking about how he can tell when a woman is coming on to him, or when they're just being nice. When he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is serious. A plane has hit the World Trade Center. So I run into the den and I turn the TV on and I see the second plane hit. A little while later, I get into my car so I can go up to Arlington where there's a parking garage to take the metro into the city to go to work. I'm at a light waiting to make a left. I'm listening to NPR and they're talking about what the president is calling the terrorist attacks in New York City. They're grounding planes. When my car starts to stutter, I'm thinking, what's wrong with my car? And then my car starts to vibrate. And an airliner the size of the sky screams over my car. It is so low that I am sure it's going to hit the trees in front of me. And there's a voice in me that goes, Maybe they're grounding planes here too. And then I notice that the landing gear's not down. I take the left and I am looking into my rearview mirror constantly waiting to see the smoke. I never did see the smoke. But by the time I got to the parking garage, they were saying on NPR that there's a fire at the Pentagon. I hop on one of the last metro trains before they shut it all down. And I get to street level and I'm hearing people say, a plane hit the Capitol. The White House is on fire. 
So I book it up 16th Street to my girlfriend's house. I have a key to her apartment. I open the door to find her still asleep. And I try to come up with the words that will be at the beginning of her September 11th story. I don't tell this story often about the one time I moved away from home. But every time I tell it, there's that voice in the back of my head that's like, that probably wasn't the plane. What do you know about landing gear? And I don't know why it took so long, but two days ago, on the 18th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, I decided to fact check myself. So I pulled up a web page, a new tab, and I pulled up a map of the area. And on a second tab, a map of the flight path of Flight 77. And I only had to toggle once between them. What do you do with knowing that you were underneath 59 people who knew they were in the final moments before they were murdered? What do you make of knowing that your body was vibrated by a weapon of mass destruction. I wish I could go back and talk to the people who were in traffic with me and ask them, do you know what that was? Do you remember how it felt? Do you remember? I do remember September 12th. People were warm. People made eye contact. People held doors. Do you know what that was? Do you remember how that felt? Do you remember? As Mark Twain said, I like a good story well told. That's the reason I'm sometimes forced to tell them myself. The Mouth Off is hosted and produced by me, Kyone Wolf, with help from Jennifer LaRue. Learn about my other shows at kionewolf.com, on Twitter and Instagram at kionewolf, at Patreon at kionewolf, and on Facebook at Kyone Wolf Productions. Tell your story at one of our live shows. Dates, themes, tickets, and swag are at marktwainhouse.org slash mouthoff. At that site, you'll see all the other cool stuff Twain has going on. In addition to funny and fascinating house tours, Twain's tradition of storytelling continues with writing classes and workshops, chances to write in Mark Twain's library, and the popular Mark My Words series, where authors from around the world come to talk about how current issues are colliding with their work. Follow the Twain House on Facebook and sign up for their newsletter at marktwainhouse.org. Imagine the story you'll tell about being a sponsor for the Mouth Off podcast. For rates, email mouthoffhartford at gmail.com. Till next time, whatever happens, make it a good story. Bye.